Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello and welcome everybody. Thank you for joining me on this uh, special week today. I've got Dr. David Hanscom back on the show. It's great to see you, David, and be talking this morning. Thanks. Happy to be here. Okay. So David's been on before. He's a retired spinal surgeon from Seattle. He's moved recently to Oakland in California, and he's now full-time working on the DOC program, the Direct Your Own Care program, which has got lots of uh, angles to it with the website, with the book, with the radio show, and doing more stuff as well. So thank you, David, for coming back. So today we're going to talk specifically about a big, a big area that you've really found tremendously helpful for patients regarding pain, and that's the world of your family. Right. So just maybe take us back and tell us when did that begin? When was that insight the first um, obvious to you? Well, I probably started having insights about 15 years ago, and I had talked to my father in detail, and I came from an abusive background, and my mother was really rough on us, verbally, physically, et cetera, and she'd go into rages that would last for three or four days, and all of a sudden she'd be perfect, and then she'd be verbally abusive to us, and then she apologized to us, and then she'd tell us she loved us. So it was very confusing as a kid understanding life, but my baseline was basically anger and anxiety in a very chaotic household. And I was talking to my father a few years ago, and my father's a family physician, and I realized that my mother was in chronic pain. She was addicted to prescription narcotics that she sort of stole from my father's office. She was on Valium, which she pirated those. And she was really just in chronic pain. She probably had 15 different physical symptoms, but I didn't get it until I talked to my father in detail remember back to my childhood to go, hmm, there's something here with chronic pain in the family. And then I became aware of a book on awareness by Anthony DeMello called The Way to Love, which is really the way to awareness. And the essence of human relationships is becoming aware of other people's needs. The essence of abuse is actually being unaware of other people's needs, where your needs trump everything else. And so what happens is that the ultimate lack of awareness is anger and frustration. And when you're angry and frustrated, you're concerned only about yourself. Anger is destructive, including self-destructive. And when you're trapped by anything, you become angry, whether it's finances, relationships, a job, whatever it is, particularly pain. And there's a doctor by the name of Dr. Sarno who used the word rage when you're trapped by pain for year after year after year without any hope. Literally, you develop a rage. So my mother was an angry woman, clearly angry, and she couldn't see her needs because, again, when you're angry, it's the ultimate lack of awareness, and it's just about you. And so she honestly couldn't see the effect of her behavior on the family. 
I couldn't figure out why a parent would be so abusive to their kids. Then I read a book called The People of the Lie by Dr. Scott Peck. And the first story was about a couple who came to him. He's a psychiatrist. And their 12-year-old kid had had a psychotic break. And all they said, look, we gave him a 22 rifle for Christmas and sort of signified a transition into adulthood, and he flipped out. Well, coming off now is the same gun that his 15-year-old brother had used to commit suicide the Christmas before. So that would be a lack of awareness. So it clicked in the gear. Then he goes throughout the rest of the book, pointing out that people that are abusive, for the most part, really aren't intending to be abusive. They just can't see other people's needs. So my mother's behavior started to make a lot more sense. Then I eventually felt chronic pain myself. And in the middle of this, I talked to my father, realized how much pain she was in. And then she would become aware, settle down, be very apologetic, and then flip into her rages again. So jump ahead a lot of years. I've been doing the chronic pain project for many years. And we were asked to do a workshop at the Omega Institute in New York. And it was my original workshop was with myself, Dr. Fred Luskin, and my wife. And then eventually it's flipped around. So it's now myself, my wife, and my daughter. My wife's a professional tap dancer. And my daughter is an expressive arts therapist. And what the workshop is based on awareness, hope, forgiveness, and play I wasn't sure exactly how to put this workshop together, but this is the first one in 2013. So I just put things into the workshop that I knew affected pain. So one of them is social isolation. So I basically wanted people to be together in a structured environment. And I wanted to see what happened. That was my essence, was reconnecting people socially. The data shows very clearly that when you're socially isolated, even within your family, that you develop the exact same symptoms as chronic pain. So I did a little bit of didactic. Maybe a third of it was just teaching people about pain. And then we told lots of stories of hope of people that had gone pain-free because we've seen hundreds of people go to pain-free. And then forgiveness was a huge part of it. Dr. Luskin was there in that first workshop. And forgiveness came into my doc process 10 years ago. That's when people started to go to pain-free because when you're, angry, you're full of stress chemicals, and you develop lots of physical symptoms, and of course, your quality of life isn't very good. And the final part is play. And what happened is my wife would do these rhythms. She's a professional tap dancer. So we did the thing called the cup song, different rhythms. And my daughter, expressive arts therapist, would do relaxation exercises. We did things like the expressive writing, active meditation, and just basically everything was structured. But we basically shared and on that first workshop, right from the beginning, 80% of people went to pain-free. That's happened in every workshop, every time. And one of the basic ground rules of the workshop was you cannot discuss your pain at all. And originally, we sort of took it loosely, and it became clear that people talked about their pain all the time, and I can't blame them. So whether you're searching for a cure or reading self-help books or discussing your medical care with other people or simply complaining about your pain, you simply wear people out around you pretty badly. So we made this ground rule, you cannot talk about your pain. And it was really interesting because people 
will look at me and go, well, what do we talk about? So by the end of the workshop, they get it. And the reason why the solution to chronic pain lies in neuroplasticity, we actually change the physical structure of your brain. You can't control your thoughts and emotions, but you can guide and direct them. So you have to be aware of the problem first, then you redirect. So if you discuss your pain on a very long-term basis, first of all, it just wears your family out. Second of all, your tension's on the pain. That's what's going to develop. And from a neuroplasticity standpoint, the part of your brain that's focused on the pain becomes very, very strong. Remember, pain is a output. In other words, you take all the sensory input. Your brain determines whether it's painful or not by interpreting all these signals and decides whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. So if your sensory input is negative racing thoughts, complaining a lot, your body creates stress chemicals, then you feel anxious, and then it's just game on. So by simply not discussing your pain, it's not the solution, but it is the starting point. So that was one of the things that we started noticing that not discussing the pain had a very profound effect on people. But I didn't really understand the dynamics completely. I knew my mother had been in chronic pain. I knew it was very abusive to her family. I did understand that anger or lack of awareness for any reason, doesn't have to be anger always, is the essence of abuse, not seeing other people's needs, putting your own before them. Then there's a research paper done a few years ago on 105 couples. And we do know in neuroscience, there's a little saying called neurons that fire together, wire together. In other words, pain creates anxiety and frustration. When other outside circumstances create anxiety and frustration, those are connected to the pain pathways. So when you're angry and frustrated, it changes your body's chemistry and your nerve conduction doubles, changes the blood supply to the different organs. So when you're angry and frustrated, it creates very direct physical changes in your body because your body chemistry changes. So this research paper, they took 105 couples and put monitors on both halves of the couple. And then what would happen is that the person in pain would complain about their pain. There's a predictable hostile response from the spouse. And then, of course, the pain went back up. Again, it's not psychological. It's just that when you're angry and frustrated, those are simply connected to pain circuits. And they happen every couple, every time. So it was fascinating that the person in pain kept complaining. So then things started coming together for me. We realized that we could do all these medical interventions, sleep, stress, writing, physical exercise. But if we didn't deal with the family triggers, it was a trump card. And we started becoming more and more aware of the role of the family. So about two or three years ago, my nurse started asking different questions. I started asking different questions. And people in pain under a lot of stress. So the stress of the pain, trying to deal with the disability system, their potential income is limited, et cetera. They get labeled by the medical profession. So they're justifiably angry. So there's a profound effect of pain slash anger on the family. One of them is based on what's called mirror neurons, is that the way we learn is we imitate. So right this second, if I was angry and frustrated, I would transmit a different energy on this podcast to you than if I was pretty happy, which I happen to be pretty happy. I hope it shows. <laughs> but in general, you know, when you're angry and frustrated, it's contagious. You know, people yawn and it's contagious. They laugh, it's contagious. 
But what happens is those parts of the brain become stimulated. So it's not psychological, it's a direct neurological effect. So I ask my patients, you know, picture yourself walking through the front door of your house. What does your family see? So if you just had a fight with the claims examiner or with your boss or whatever, you walk through the front door angry, your kids are having a good time, your wife's relaxed cooking, what do they see? So they have this angry person walking through the front door, it puts a, a dark cloud over the entire household. Then you start complaining about your day, you start complaining about your pain, and it just drags the entire family down. Then the mirror neurons work the other direction in that now the family's upset, and guess what? That triggers your part of the brain. So you get this cosmic ping pong game going back and forth, back and forth. Anyway, we found out that by that we could do all these different interventions and people weren't getting better. And it turns out that the family issues are the trump card. It's ironic that the most intimate human relationships are your biggest triggers, <clears throat> but it's a neurological trick. And it does make sense from a standpoint in that the more entwined you are with another person, of course, the deeper and more rich the triggers. So your families are a great source of happiness, but on the other hand, they're also a great source of distress because they trigger such strong reactions. So then we started making ground rules around family issues. The first one being, I would say, look, I want your spouse or partner to be involved in the process. I want every person over 13 years old in the family involved in the process, but separately. I want you to put up a 10-foot wall metaphorically between you, your medical care, and your pain to the rest of the family and to the rest of the world. It doesn't come into the household. So first one is I want everybody involved. Second rule was I do not want you to discuss your pain ever. And I would point out and say, look, when you walk through the door of my office, when you walk out of here, you will never discuss your pain ever again the rest of your life with anybody except your physicians. And a lot of them would blow it out, well, what do we talk about? So I get it. Chronic pain has consumed your life. You're searching for a cure, but that's where your attention is. That's where your brain is going to develop and become just a monster over time. We do know in chronic pain that your brain actually physically changes. And what you're trying to do is literally rewire your brain in a different direction. And so I say, look, if your spouse asks you about your pain, you say, look, Dr. Hanscom said not to talk about it. If you start complaining about it, why the other partner is supposed to say, look, you're not supposed to complain about it, and literally walk out of the room. And it's an absolute rule. So what we found out is that family triggers are the most powerful triggers keeping people in pain. Conversely, it's equally as powerful pulling people out of pain. It's unbelievable. The third thing we ask people to do, which turned out to be harder than people thought and I thought, is they want them to spend an hour with their partner or spouse and just remember when things were really fun. And it's not positive thinking. It's just waking up part of the brain that knows how to play and have fun. I mean, why are you together? It's not like you met a stranger on the street and decided to live together the rest of your life. There's some connection between the two of you that gets you together in the first place, and why are you together? Well, when you're dealing with anxiety and frustration and just life in general, that vision tends to be clouded pretty badly. So it's interesting because when people in chronic pain are so angry and spouses are so angry at that person, it's really hard to drop the sword. So the most difficult things I've had people do is to sit down and just talk about when things are fun. And they'll get to it, but often that second visit, when they come back after I ask them, they haven't done it. But it's really critical. If you can't remember why you're together, you got to think about that for a while. 
Then the fourth thing is to take it home. So you take that energy generated by discussing when things are really fun and discuss it in detail. You bring the energy into the house and you make an absolute rule that your house is a safe house. You just do not argue or fight in the house. The reason for that is that when you're anxious and frustrated, it's a powerful survival reaction. It's a million times stronger than the conscious brain. And as everybody knows that you never solve anything in a fight, but we keep doing it. The problem is it's a million to one ratio of this unconscious brain over the conscious brain. And all you can do is stop it. And the metaphor I use is like a boxer in a ring. Simply break up the two boxes in a ring, done. Now it's hard. I mean, I get my wife, I get triggered the other day. So by the way, when I talk about not discussing your pain, that means not discussing the pain, no complaining, period. No advice given to the kids that's not asked for. You treat your kids like humans. And then really just don't bring that energy into the house. And if you're having a bad day, don't come into the house. Let's say one out of 10 times you're in a bad mood, the rest of the time in a good mood, as intermittent reinforcement where they don't know exactly who's going to come through that door. So when you walk in the door of the household, your family's going to be on edge. Is that really what you want your family to see? And I ask my patients, do you like your family? They go, of course I do. And I go, well, why would you treat them like this? Why would you take your anger out on your family? There's a, that's the last group of people in the world that you should vent your frustrations on. I mean, you won't vent your frustrations to a stranger in the street or a clerk at the counter, right? You don't live with them. Why would you take it out on your family ever? And I'm hyper aware that what I'm saying sounds very idealistic and it is, but by setting that vision out there, it's remarkable how close people can get to it relatively quickly because it's not hard. You're either doing it or you don't. And the reactions are very quick and it's a very powerful way of moving out of pain. But also, even if you're in pain, why take it out in your family? So what happens is that then the mirror neuron effect works the other direction is your family's excited to see you, you're excited to see them, so it stimulates a part of your brain that creates a body chemistry full of oxytocin, the love drug, dopamine, the reward drug, serotonin, the antidepressant, then the GABA drugs, which are like Valium. So your family now becomes a source of safety, nurturing, play chemicals. When your body's full of those play chemicals, your sense of well-being goes through the ceiling. It actually decreases the nerve conduction. Pain drops down dramatically. So in these workshops, it's surprising every time we do this, 70 to 80% of people go to pain-free within the workshop. And I couldn't figure out why that happened because it's three days. Some of these people have been in pain for 40 or 50 years. The criteria for the workshop is they have had to read my book, Back to Control, A Surgeon's Realm of Chronic Pain. They had have had started some of the tools called expressive writing, relaxation, work on their sleep. So they had to have understood the model but the intent of the workshop is for them to experience being pain-free, just like their brain taste it. And when they go back to their triggers at home, they go back into their pain. But it's remarkable long-term how that experience of just feeling safe sets them off to actually maintain that indefinitely. There's a real turning point. So we've been excited about it. And I also realized that the workshop has structure, that I'm not the person that's solving this problem. In a structured environment, where people feel safe, not complain about their pain, people heal each other. 
So it's the interaction of coming out of social isolation, being with other people, enjoying them. When my wife teaches us this crazy song called the Cup Song, everybody just starts to laugh. I mean, it took me two weeks to learn this thing. Some people learn it in about 10 minutes. But you're vulnerable, and you're sharing this vulnerability with other people. And then my daughter is remarkable just getting people to relax. She just gets people to relax really nicely. And then on Saturday night, we just had a sharing session where people simply either they can sing, recite poetry, talk about a hobby. And it's a sharing session where everybody feels incredibly safe. And it feels like we're in a giant sandbox. So it's not like I teach one, two, three, and you're fixed. People just simply feel safe around each other and people heal. Well, that's how we decided that the family is such a big deal. It took me two or three years at this workshop to figure out what's going on. And we're doing the workshop again this year. I'm always anxious. Well, how's it going to go this year? Every year it's different. Some people respond that I never would expect to respond ever. A lot of, re- a lot of people don't respond that I thought, well, God, really, they should have figured this out. Anyway, long story short, the family is that workshop indefinitely. You have close, intimate relationships. Do you want your family to feel safe or not? I realize that when you're in pain, that you don't necessarily feel safe. You're being attacked by pain. You're being attacked by anxiety. You're frustrated. You're trapped. I get it. I mean, I was in that state of mind for about 15 years. But do you want your family being trapped by the same pain that you're being trapped by? That's the key question. Anyway, it's just, and it still continues to evolve. I mean, every time we see a family situation come around, it's exciting. It's fun. People come back, they're very excited about it. And even if the pain's not gone down, just that the quality of life within two weeks has changed. Because all of a sudden, pain's off the table and gives them a little bit of space to start enjoying their life again. Okay, so you've obviously been sharing this with your patients over the years as well. So for our audience who's maybe listening, you know, can you just share um, an example of a case where you saw a patient in the office, you shared this stuff to them a bit like what you're doing now, and what happened to that case? Early on, we had this couple, she was 25, he was 26, and they had been dating about a year and a half. And he had been in chronic pain for about 10 years. And they were really open to this. So I sat down for a while with him, explained what we just talked about. And we just talked about what the rules were, how anxiety anger works. And they came in at two weeks and were still very excited about this. They've been fighting. I mean, they liked each other. Clearly had a lot of chemistry between them, but they couldn't stop fighting. And they were very, very frustrated. Again, he had been pain for about 10 years since he was about 15 years old. And they came in back about a month later. And again, this process is mostly self-directed. And he was pain-free. He was fine. And she was not going through counseling with her own issues in general, some family life, et cetera. And he was shocked. And I have to tell you, chronic pain is a solvable problem. Neuroscience research has given us the answer. It's really about learning to regulate your body's chemistry of stress chemicals versus play chemicals. And they quit talking about the pain. They knew the rules. They were simply not bringing it into the household. And he was shocked, honestly, that his anxiety was down, reactivity was down, and basically he's pain-free. Now, I always tell people that go to pain-free, that you're going to be triggered. These are permanent pathways. These are permanent circuits. But at least you taste it. You use the same tools that get you out of the pain again. 
And so it was just exciting to watch them. The other thing is once people understand this reactivity that it's not logical, that's not subject to psychological intervention because it's a million to one ratio, and you literally just stop it, it's just a, it's a paradigm shift that is just huge. I mean, simply not complaining, not discussing your pain all the time is a major, major issue in people getting better. Exactly. Well, listen, I, I really thank you for you know, explaining the chemicals and what actually happens, you know, that shift away from adrenaline and cortisol, which is going on all the time when we're angry, frustrated, in pain, in rage, and then that flip round to oxytocin and GABA and dopamine, and you get that bonding, that, that happy, that relaxing responses in us, and how that is so pivotal to assisting the change in the nerve, rewiring up there in the brain. Right. I think you've clearly shared that, and also these rules of, you know, at home, the four-point rules, which I think our audience can maybe go back and listen to again on the recording and just write them down. Really good. Excellent insight and tip. So, you know, David, you mentioned just before we came on about a book that's coming out on this subject. Any more word on that? Well, you know, I quit my practice. I think that, as you know, you've heard my lectures that 70% of spine surgery should not be done. You know, surgeons are simply ignoring the data that affects outcomes. So the modern neuroscience simply is not penetrated into mainstream medicine. So my mission is really just to bring these healing concepts into public awareness. This is not alternative medicine. This is mainstream medicine. Essentially, every treatment we outline in my book is simply documented in hundreds of research papers. And right now, the treatments we're actually providing in medicine have been documented to be ineffective. It's remarkable how that there's such a dichotomy here. So my goal is to bring the whole doc project concepts out into the real world and the family issues are a huge job. I'm actually going to write an entire book on it. And basically, it's going to be called Healing Your Family's Pain. And the family issues, by the way, are not in my book. It's on the website. So if you go to my website, there's four stages that match my book. The website, again, is backincontrol.com. And at the bottom of stage one, there's five steps, with the last step being don't discuss your pain with anybody. It says, click this link, Healing Journey with Your Family. And it opens up a whole section of the website that's going to be the basis of my new book about healing your family's pain. So I'm excited about that. It should be done by probably next December or so. In the meantime, I'm also writing another book called Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? And that one's essentially done. Now it needs to be edited, and that's going to be released next September. Awesome. Thank you for all your work you're doing now and this next phase of your journey in medicine and heading towards the path of how do we heal? You know, how do we heal people with pain? So for the, our audience, just a reminder there, backincontrol.com is an excellent resource for you. I tell all my patients to go there and get into it and read it and absorb, especially the sections that they feel appropriate at that time. And um, as David outlined today, at the end of stage one, there is a section on um, healing the family. So a big recommendation for me as well to get there. So listen, David, thank you. It's been a great interview. I really appreciate your time once again, and I look forward to having you on again another yeah. time. Thank you. I enjoyed it very much.